Freebooters Network. Hi, this is Devin Trey from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Exploding Dice Radio. We hope you enjoy the show. Exploding Dice Radio. Welcome to episode 18 of Exploding Dice Radio, the podcast about all things dystopian age. My name is Andy, also known as Ruckdog on the forums, and today I'm joined by my friend Matt. Matt, welcome back to the show. Uh, welcome, yeah, good to be here, Andy. It's been over a year. We've done this uh, one other time. Glad to see you're bringing up the second stringers to <laughs> get some, get some playtime. Well, you know, you have the advantage of being located geographically close which means we actually get to play the game together from time to time so that helps a lot <laughs> that is a fair point but as you pointed out matt this episode has been a long time in coming it's been over a year since we last had an episode of exploding dice radio so before we get in much further i wanted to offer a quick apology to the existing fans for the long hiatus and i also wanted to offer a welcome to any of the new listeners out there and if you are joining us for the first time, I'd like to give you a quick overview of what Exploding Dice Radio is all about. Now, this podcast was originally started to discuss the various naval games that were produced by Spartan Games, and these included Firestorm Armada, Dystopian Wars, and Uncharted Seas. Now, sadly, Spartan went out of business back in 2017, and those various properties were bought by War Cradle Studios. And since then, War Cradle has published a new version of Dystopian Wars, and has been busily releasing all manner of new miniatures for the game, many of which are in plastic, by the way. Now, while Wolf Crater has stated that they intend to release new editions of Firestorm Armada and Uncharted Seas at some point in the future, for now, those remain in development. As such, we are going to be mostly focusing on Dystopian Wars here on the podcast for the immediate future. <laughs> How's that uh, sound to you, Matt? Uh, that sounds sounds good. There's plenty to talk about. Yes, uh, there having, is. Haven't read my Orbats recently here, so yeah. All right. So that being said, uh, we are going to briefly look at the latest round of model releases for Dystopian Wars, and then we're also going to circle back and talk a little bit about some of the new Orbat changes and some of the new core rulebook changes because we did just get a new edition of uh, the Orbats. You know, the actual stats for the models in the game. And a lightly tweaked version of the core rules as well. And that all came out in sort of the late August, early September time frame. And this most recent game that Matt and I played was the first game we've played with those revised uh, Orbats and those revised rules. So we'll have a little bit to talk about there. But first up, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the major releases. And these are all... all are, blah, blah, excuse me, these are all up for pre-order, there we go, <laughs> on the uh, Wayland Games website, uh, but for now, we'll uh, just look at the preview pages and uh, give you some thoughts. So, first up is a expansion box of sorts for the Serginium Skies two-player starter set, which released last month and includes a airborne force for the Imperium and an airborne force for the Commonwealth. They're actually, if I uh, understand correctly, Canadian, which is an interesting twist. 
Now, what this Beyond box has is additional models for both factions. So essentially additional ships uh, and uh, options for those ships. There's also some of the large robot models, the, the Colossuses, they call them, and that type of thing. And it also comes with uh, some terrain, uh, some platforms that can be used to represent some kind of uh, seaborne base or some kind of objective. And you also have some mine markers, some wreckage markers, and of course, some more SRS uh, tokens, which these represent aircraft on the field. So it basically gives you a way to provide some additional options and some additional variety for your games if all you have starting off is that two-player starter set. So, Matt, taking a look at the Beyond the Strategium Sky set, what are your thoughts? All right, let's see. Uh, well, obviously, um, seeing the uh, the big uh, stompy robots, uh, the, the Hawkmeisters <laughs> yes. uh, are, are obviously a an awesome thing to see. I know they've kind of released them earlier on, but, I mean... Stopian Wars, Steampunk. Who doesn't want some giant robots causing havoc in the uh, in in the waters? Can't go uh, wrong with um, big stompy robots. So definitely not. <laughs> uh, I, I love that uh, War Cradle and Wailing Games are showing like all the different like ways to build these. Um, but to to say exactly, looking just clicking through here. I mean, it's a nice looking set. Got some some subs. And looks like some artillery cruisers, um, and and terrain, of course, something that uh, they, they've been lacking yes. for a minute is cool to see. Yeah, there's been a little bit of Scenics. They released the island airfield set, uh, I think, last year already. It's been that long already, hard to believe. But yeah, so I will say that I am also really excited about seeing those. Uh, I, for lack of a better term, oil platforms, although they're probably not strictly speaking oil platforms. <laughs> but they do look really neat, uh, and it's it's nice to have some other options for that terrain. My initial impression on looking at this is that it's a really neat way to sort of branch out your initial gaming experience once you sort of get tired of what's just in the box set. And I like the fact that it has something for both sides of that two-player set, so that if you are going into this with a friend at a local game store, you guys, you know, the two of you could split the box, and it gives both players more options. Also included in the box, of course, is a, another rulebook, a set of dice, and a set of tokens, so that would also go a little bit towards helping to provide players with a little bit uh, more resources than what might come in just the basic two-player set. Now, interestingly, in this particular set, it is weighted, at least in terms of model count, more towards the crown side of it, because really you just have those two uh, Hawkmeister robot models in the box for the Imperium. Uh, but I think that's probably also due to just the uh, sheer amount of stuff the Imperium gets in the two-player starter set, uh, which is also really cool. <laughs> now, interestingly, they haven't stopped there. They also have a Beyond the Hunt for Prometheus box set. <laughs> <laughs> and this aims to do something similar, except for the original Hunt for Prometheus two-player starter set that came out almost two years ago now at the relaunch of Dystopian Wars uh, all the way back in uh, 2020. Now, this set has a similar kind of layout. It's got some models for both the Russian Commonwealth and the Enlightened. It also has the oil platform terrain models. 
And it also has another rule book, a campaign book, dice and tokens. The one thing that neither of these sets have, though, is another set of the templates and the movement gauge uh, or slash ruler that comes with the uh, base set. So uh, there's there's not a second one of those. So it's, it's sort of not quite at the full independent starter set on its own, but uh, you'll have to rely on those components from the original two-player set. So, um, so Matt, with... Considering that you and I have spent most of our time in Dystopian Wars 3.0 using the stuff that came out of the Hunt for the Prometheus set, uh, this one probably strikes a little closer to home. So looking at this one, what are your thoughts? Uh, oh, those some little, like, water scorpions, water centipedes, and obviously the uh, the Russian Vitruvian Colossus looking proper Russian, uh, kind of like the bellhead that's obviously a cryogenerator, so... <laughs> yeah. No complaints there. And this Ketos-class assault machine. All right, yeah, I mean, water centipede? Sure, let's do it. Yeah, 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 I love the enlightened robot aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) And capacitor ship, let's look here. So two protruding classes. So this actually looks pretty, actually not quite as much plastic ship-wise as the Beyond Strangium Skies, but... It looks like the 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 bigger you know hunks of plastic obviously take up more more re- real estate than the smaller ones. Um, so it looks like the Commonwealth has the two Colossus, the Boyer heavy frigates, um, and it looks like the rest would be the enlightened stuff. So cool. yeah, yeah. And including enlightened escort uh, models, which is something we'll touch on later when we get to the rules, but. That's interesting because I think those might be some of the first escorts that I've seen for Dystopian Wars 3.0. So that's neat. Definitely. And 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 are your are your Orca tokens actually a token now, or are they still the little? So they they the, do uh... in fact have physical tokens for these, and they've they've been available for a while in other box sets. Uh, it's just they're being included in this one as well. Uh, so that would be if you know I was to get this box, that would be the first time I would have access to those physical tokens. Um, if I hadn't gotten any of the other new box sets that have them. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, I've seen them. Cool. So yeah, nice little upgrade from the little cardboard discs that they include with the original two-player starter set. <laughs> Definitely, and they're they're probably still working out that that yeah. mold at that time. So overall, I think these Beyond sets are a nice little win for the game because it provides an easy avenue for people that are just starting out with the game to get into a more diverse, I guess you could say, model collection and kind of spice up some of their games. Uh, So yeah, I'm actually sort of thinking about maybe picking up the Hunt for Prometheus one myself. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Okay. We can just just split that one. Yeah, we could. We could. Or... or, 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 if you're listening, we're creative. I'm going to buy more stuff, too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> now we each buy one and trade half of it, right? <laughs> um, all right. So there's three other releases that are coming out uh, as well this month in November for pre-order. There's the Mexico Battlefleet for the Union. This is a interesting... So the Mexico has been in the Union Orbat for quite a while. It is one of the special named Constitution-class battleships in the Union fleet. And so you now have a tweaked physical model to represent it. And, of course, it also comes with two of the uh, cruiser sprues that have 
the ability to be built up into any number of different uh, cruiser options. You could build them as a small carrier, as a uh, repair ship, um, even as a, it uh, looks like a, a rocket launching ship, the Washington class. So you got lots of different options uh, to sort of configure this is the way uh, you would like. Uh, I think it's an interesting little upgrade. This one's clearly geared towards folks who are already established union players. I think that this set would probably not be a great way to enter into the uh, union, uh, collecting the union, just because it's not really, I think, uh, quite a fully-fledged force in its own right, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I mean honestly, uh, I don't know like the size of the, like, the, the light carriers here, but, I mean, that... Beyond the uh, Prometheus and even beyond Strategium Skies, they're like ten dollars more, than, like ten pounds more than this. If I'm looking at, so if you're talking about like twenty bucks more for double or maybe triple the models. I mean, I guess if this is the only way to get the thing, sure. Yeah, the difference is is that both of the Beyond sets are strictly plastic, whereas uh, a major chunk of this is the resin <laughs> ship, the the resin battleship. Oh, of course, it takes yeah, up sure. a lot more weight and space and everything. So. Yeah, yeah. Cause I know we we I brush. I actually did kind of review all of the uh, the union stuff as well because that's so far my second fleet that doesn't have any paint on it yet. But you know, one day and uh, was actually my my main fleet in uh, the original Dystopian Wars game. So I've definitely paid attention. And uh, I gotta say, I do love the little uh, uh, little like Osprey robots. Yes, yes. Which is which are super cool. So. All right, um, so next up is the uh, Protector Battlefleet set. Uh, this is a Canadian set. It features a large Canadian submarine that could even be a submarine aircraft carrier, which is kind of a neat feature. And then it's got uh, two cruisers and four frigates, so basically two of their cruiser frigate sprues that you can build up as you like. Um, so this is, I, you know, the Canadians were something that Spartan was toying with, at the very end of the original run of Dystopian Wars. And it looks like War Cradle has picked up the torch there and is now moving forward with a full release of the Canadians uh, because they also feature heavily in the Sturgeonium Skies box set. Uh, so, Matt, what are your thoughts here? I'll, I'll be up front with you. I think the sub is really neat. I love the sub. <laughs> uh, so I would actually agree with that. Um, so, uh, slight aside, we're not going to derail this too much. Um, uh, back in the day, in my in my younger years, uh, I was uh, incredibly into, interested in the uh, the Rifts world, and in one of their underseas books, they had the the USS Ticonderoga, which was a submersible carrier. Yeah. Uh, not, uh, but more shaped like an actual like, you know, the carriers we see today. Yeah. So uh, a submersible carrier is is a win for me. <laughs> uh, you know. Every day of the week, twice on Sunday. So. Right. And, and the, the hilarious part is it's got a big, fat maple leaf front and center on the flight deck. So in case you were confused about who it belonged to. <laughs> in, case, in case you need a target to, to aim at. I mean, you know that if I get one of these, I'm going to have to paint that thing red and you know, <laughs> nicely highlighted and everything. So, oh, so, so de de definitely all, all four um, things that sub submerge that probably ought not. But Yeah. But magic, but but science magic or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And you know this this strikes me as not a terrible way to get started on a uh, Canadian force. It seems like you've got enough stuff there that you could probably play a small game. 
Uh, it would definitely be a really good expansion set if you already have a Commonwealth fleet of some kind and wanted to either play this as a sub-faction or expand an existing force. So, Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, obviously it looks like there's looks five options for the, the cruiser. So yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a couple of these. And again, not knowing how large the uh, submersible carrier is, but yeah, a couple of those, you probably got a solid uh, you know, faction boost going on. Though, uh, and we'll probably get into this a little bit with our uh, discussion down the line, but uh, the, the the kind of orb, the kind of um, squadron or battle, sorry, battle fleet um, yeah. restrictions kind of force you to get some stuff, but it's not doesn't seem too too bad. But wait, we can get back to that later. Anyway, yeah, and it really comes down to how how focused you are in getting the bonuses that might come from fielding a specialized battle fleet, right? So. Exactly. All right, so there's one other additional Dystopian Wars release for November that we haven't talked about yet, and <laughs> this one is something I'm hoping I'm pronouncing correctly, the Raytage Battlefleet set. This is a release for the Sultanate, which is interesting. It has something called a Raytage Portal Ship, and then four destroyers, so four small ships. And it's a little tough to tell from the pictures. I think these are all plastics. Uh, there might be a resin uh, component that joins the two parts of the portal ship together. Because what it looks like is the portal ship is made out of two cruiser hulls with some sort of like projection widget that joins them together in sort of a, a catamaran configuration. Uh, if, it's a little hard to tell from the pictures, but... Given the way that the the materials are different colors, I, I sort of suspect that's that might be what's going on. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the same <laughs> thing you are. It looks like it's a resin like add-on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now here's where I have to be honest, right? I've never been a huge fan of the old uh, Sultanate aesthetic, you could call it, from the Spartan era. It just, you know, it wasn't. I didn't hate it. It just didn't really like excite me. Uh, this is the continuing evolution of that aesthetic. Uh, fewer minarets <laughs> under War Cradle than what used to be there under Spartan Days. So uh, I actually sort of like the looks of this overall a little better. Although I, I, I'm not entirely sure I'm sold on this weird catamaran-looking portal ship thing. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? <laughs> uh, um, the interesting, uh, you know, generally helps to have, you know, some... Con- contradicting opinions uh however comma uh i agree um it looks like a big like fun slide so like looks like these would be better as like a you know disney cruise ship than a you know a, a war vessel but i mean obviously there's <laughs> some guns off to the sides uh, i will say however looking at the smaller ships the little like mouth gun and you know i'm, I'm sure it's not um you know the actual there's like a face on the on the uh the frigate slash things and that looks cool it kind of looks like a um you know i'm sure it's a some kind of hindi you know design but it also kind of looks like a a luchador in my opinion but yeah yeah it, it almost <laughs> looks like something you would see out of an elder scrolls game or something <laughs> yeah but, but that's it i do like those uh much better than the um than the little cruiser portal whatever ship yeah yeah and of course, this is clearly intended to be an expansion to the existing Sultanate battle fleet, so it's not really a standalone fleet on its own. Um, and I haven't, you know, again, full disclosure, I haven't had a chance to dig into the Orbat for the Sultanate and see what the rules for this thing are. It, for all I know, it's got really, really cool rules that uh, would make it 
so that you want to take it no matter what it looks like. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely is a possibility. Yeah. So anyway. All right. So I think that more or less rounds out all of the different releases for November. So just to summarize, you have the Beyond the Hunt for Prometheus and Beyond the Strigenium Skies expansion boxes for the two player starter sets that are out there for the game now. And then you also have three battle fleets, the Mexico battle fleet set for the Union, the Protector battle fleet set for the Commonwealth, and the Ritage battle fleet set for the Sultanate. So all, all in all, I think this is a pretty strong slate of releases for November. Um, lots and lots of stuff. About the only fleet you don't see uh, represented here, near as I can tell, I'm trying to think if there's a which faction might not be represented here, because uh, we've got a little something for almost everybody, I think. Um, maybe the Empire. I, I guess we don't really have anything in there for the uh, the Empire, but um, and and, oh, and, the, and the Alliance. I, I I forgot about the Alliance, but you know that's. Basically, six out of the eight factions have something they can use out of this month's releases, which isn't bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, de definitely. And again, just kind of reviewing all this before a little sit down here, I was like, man, they, they've released a lot more than uh, I've uh, I've been paying attention to, which is cool. Yeah. Definitely got a few yeah. things on my list uh, in the next couple of months, though. Well, we, we also have you know a lot more to sort of go back and cover because we we took such a long break on the podcast that a lot has changed between now and then. So <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, they call that content. It'll be fine. Yes, it'll be great. It'll be great. <laughs> um, now, one other thing I wanted to mention: it's not really a product release, but it's more of a community support item uh, on tabletop, which, if I recall correctly, actually is owned by the same parent company that owns War Cradle, Wayland Games just did a Dystopian Wars week on YouTube recently, and they did a whole bunch of videos where they were showcasing the new two-player starter set, Strigenium Skies. They did little 10-minute videos that were doing like an overview of the background for each of the factions and this type of thing. So definitely worth heading over to the War Cradle YouTube channel to check out and uh, spend a little time sort of using that to help you get caught up if you're like me and sort of out of the loop on some things. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like a great plan. I will get that on my list. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and for the couple of videos I've watched so far, it seems like they're really well done, nice production values and everything else. So, but uh, anyway... Okay, well, uh, Matt, did you have anything else you wanted to add for the new releases? No, I think I'm good. All righty. Well, we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to be digging into some of the new rules evolutions that have happened in the last year or so. So uh, sit tight, and we'll be right back. Currently, humanity looks to the Internet for its information. We have stood at the edge of despair and would have fallen. If not for awesome podcasts and their content of everything we love. Now these podcasts are all brought together in one place. Forged in like-mindedness. Tempered with a community-oriented forum. Covering all things geek. Such as wargaming, board gaming, comics, movies, and more. Presenting a lineup of podcasts producing exclusive content for the fans. The Freebooters Network. Trolls want to steal our community. Let them try. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Now it's time to talk about rules. We're going to talk about the Orders of Battle, or the Orbats, which are basically sort of like the army lists or codexes or whatever you want to call them 
uh, from your games of choice that you're used to using. And we're also going to talk about the core rules. Now, if you remember back to the Spartan Age, Matt, their versions of the game generally only lasted about a year and a half to two years before they had a major revision, right? Because if you think about it, you know, the game released in 2012, Spartan went out of business in 2017. That's five years, give or take, for the Dystopian Wars uh, lifespan there under Spartan. And in that time, they went from version 1.0, to 1.2, to 2, to finally 2.5. So you had like four versions (laughs) over the course of five years. And each of these versions of the core rules was a major, major change from the previous version, right? Um, Yeah. So it's kind of remarkable, really, when you look at Dystopian Wars 3.0, that it's been pretty stable under uh, Warcradle. And I think that's a testament to the amount of effort they put into the initial game design and playtesting, probably. However, they did decide that they had to make a few small tweaks to the core rules, and they released that revised PDF of the rulebook in, uh, I guess, what, late August, early September of this year. So just a couple of months ago, really. Um, now, Matt, you pointed out one thing you wanted to talk about, which is sort of interesting, which is the addition of a crossing the T mechanic. Yes, that that was um, after looking through my orbat and saying, "Oh, what's this blue mean?" Uh, it you know put me on 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 a hunt, as, as it were, for what this uh, new rule does. Um, so basically, uh, what that lets you do, um, if you are, are crossing the T, so your broadsides are hitting either the the front or rear, uh, I guess the, the the bow or the stern of the uh, opposing battle uh, ship. Um, what the broadside rule lets you do is you are forced to link with your broadsides, but it allows you to link in your gunnery with it. So for the for the Borodino battleship, for instance, uh, you know, in range band one, I guess point blank, um, it it, it uh, the broadside has a a ten dice, you know, damage. And you can add in either your rail guns or your heavy gun batteries to it. Uh, and it gets you, I think it totals up to 14 dice. But the thing that this crossing T does, it lets, gives these sustained. Ooh, yes. So now you're talking, uh, you know, rerolling everything with 14 odd dice. Yes. Uh, you're, you're, you're hurting something. Yeah, this I like this change for a couple of reasons. So the first reason is, one, it gives a little more... It forces you to pay a little more attention to your broadsides, which I think, from our experience playing with the game for the last couple of years, can kind of get... They're sort of an, almost an afterthought sometimes. They're easy to not pay too much attention to, but now it gives you another reason to sort of optimize your broadside shooting. Well, there's 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 reason I, I, I call it uh, tracer rounds when I'm firing my broadside. <laughs> exactly. And it also kind of gives a reason for players to be a little more careful with their maneuvering and their positioning, right? Because obviously one of the things that they simplified with the uh, th- 3.0 edition is they cut down the number of firing arcs. And I'm generally in favor of that because it simplifies the game and makes it play a little bit faster. But, of course, the downside is you don't have to think quite as hard about your positioning. And this sort of brings some of that back, a little bit of that flavor back, which is always kind of fun, I think, especially for a naval game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Now, there was one change I wanted to highlight, and that was uh, the change that they made to the escorts. And I sort of hinted at this when we were talking about the Beyond the Hunt for Prometheus box set and how there were little escort tokens now in their little plastic model tokens for the Enlightened. So in the original 3.0 edition of the rules, there was a provision for escorts, but they were still kind of treated as models. And now they're basically treated more like a sort of a super SRS token, right? Where you can move them around. They don't block line of sight. They can't collide. They can't be rammed. They're just essentially there to kind of indicate that the escorted unit has a little bit of a buff to its uh, uh, defensive stats, right? And so I think that's a fun way to still visually portray on the tabletop. You've got some escorts going around with a big parent model, but at the same time, not let it bog the game down by having to whip out your turning template to maneuver (laughs) these little escorts around the table, this type of thing, right? Because that was something that you always had to do with the escorts in the older versions of Dystopian Wars under Spartan, right? And so it, it got to be a little bit of a pain, and, you know, you might as well just bring frigates instead at that point. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I like that change. I think it's a, a great evolution and uh, really helps speed things along a little bit. Yeah, because because really, if you think about it, there's the older escorts. They didn't do anything by themselves. All they did was kind of boost, you know, your anti-air, your your submerged defenses. So you're, essentially, you're you're just moving extra miles around that can obviously easily catch up to the the larger, slower, more powerful ships. So yeah, there's just an extra thing to do that probably didn't need to happen. Right, right. And, you know, I, I don't want to oversell this because, in general, there's not been all that many changes to the rules. There's been a couple of minor tweaks here and there and a couple of additions, which I think we highlight the biggest ones in terms of crossing the T and the escort changes. But in general, it's, it's you know, 90-some percent still the same rule book, right? It's yeah. it's really almost like, a, you know, errata than a full edition change. I think they're calling this version 3.03 in their version control system. Uh, so, again, the game is still remarkably uh, stable uh, for the last couple of years. So, you know, I think you and I, Matt, having played it since the initial relaunch, will have no trouble uh, diving into it. Uh, uh, no, I mean, uh, in our game, I guess it's a couple weeks ago now, I mean, there are some lookups on the stuff that you know, doesn't come up as often. Yeah. yeah. But, but uh, thankfully... Um, War Cradle is using this thing, this great thing we have called the internet, yeah, and and giving us these these things called free updates, which some other companies, um, not gonna mention any names, could probably <laughs> could probably do do themselves and and make everybody a bit happier than in the way things have been going in the past three four years. So yeah yeah no I definitely appreciate it. Uh, you you cannot argue uh, that Wayland Games and War Cradle have not done their utmost to try and support dystopian wars through all of this. That's for sure. Absolutely. So now while the changes to the core rules have been relatively minor, what Matt and I noticed during that game we played is that the changes to the Orbats have been much more significant. And of course the Orbats are already going to change over time because they have to grow and expand to, basically account for all the new models that are coming out, right? But there's been more changes than that that have been made to the Orbats. Um, So the Orbats were re-released alongside the revised core rulebook back in the late August, early September timeframe. 
and uh, and just you know for truth and advertising and for full disclosure, right? We really haven't done a complete deep dive into all the orbats, right? But you know we've we've looked at the enlightened and the commonwealth orbats uh, to a reasonable degree because we both had to use those to play our game because that's what we were playing: enlightened versus commonwealth. So, Matt, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. What's uh, a couple things you noticed that were big changes to the Commonwealth Orbat when you were prepping for your game? Uh, well, the biggest one, um, and uh, talking about movement, we uh, we both kind of learned a lesson with that. Um, the cryo generator was <laughs> a real big deal. Um, so, originally, it, it, it would make icebergs appear, depending on how well you rolled for the generator. Um Neat. Very uh, fluffy. Not necessarily fun- effective on the tabletop. <laughs> functionally questionable. Um, however, um, I guess th- that probably works a little better if you're using like the cryo cruisers. Um, so you have multiple opportunities to get that that large iceberg and maybe to, to maybe get those you know frigates or destroyers to you know run into um, with that. But when you were talking just like from the board, you know, you got one one roll. To get, you know, a giant iceberg. Again, very cool. Not the most useful thing. But then they went ahead and added the cryogenic blast to them, which is uh, usable uh, up to 20 inches away, so point blank uh, to closing. It is a blast, hazardous, and devastating, and it has a dice of eight. <laughs> on it, and yeah. I believe the cryo capacitors, uh, which is a Bordino special rule, and I'm sure on some of the other uh, ships, uh, it gives those that cryo generator sustained. I'm going to verify that really quick, but I'm pretty confident of that. Um, yeah, even without the sustain, even without the sustain, the fact that it's now a blast weapon is a huge deal. <laughs> yeah, so. For those of you that uh, don't remember or haven't actually played the game yet, what Blast means is that there's a circular template in the game, and you roll the dice associated with the weapon, and any enemy model that's under that circular template takes the number of hits you rolled off of those dice. So it could potentially be a very, very devastating uh, thing, especially for your small ships like your frigates and destroyers, and even your you know less well protected medium models can be very very threatened by this. You could target you know three or four of them at a go with this if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that um, template Andy's referring to, I believe it's close to three inch diameter. Yeah. Um, so in our game, uh, Andy introduced me to uh, the blast rule. Uh, which knocked out a frigate or two and uh, did some damage to my battleship. But then I was like, oh, I have that rule too. And I, <laughs> I was able to, to knock out uh, pretty much both of his enlightened uh, cruisers. And it uh, turns out they're expensive. Yes. Um, yes. I think, I think, I think like, even if it was a trade, um, my battleship was like 15 points less than the combined cruisers. So Yeah. Yeah, you came out ahead for sure. Oh, yeah. No, that was a, I was like, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> that's a that's a fine that's a fine exchange so oh yes so so now i'm sure we'll be paying more attention to the uh yeah the, uh, the unit coherency i'll call it um because i think it's like four inches or so which is significant so that, that'll kind of if you're paying attention mitigate the the blast a bit but 
but you never know. Sometimes it gets packed in there. Yes. Well, and so that is uh, one of the changes I definitely noticed is it's not just blast really. You know, if you compare the, the weapon reference uh, pages for the Orbat versus the previous versions, there's been um, a lot of stuff that's been added to the various weapons, right? So, you know, for example, hey, this weapon now has hazardous, or this uh, weapon that used to be just fuselage also gained the broadside rule, which allows you to take advantage of that crossing the T rule. It's now in the core rules, for example. And yep. also, a number of weapons gained the blast <laughs> uh, uh, rule, which really was something that you didn't see a lot of in earlier editions of the Orbats, right? And so this is a great example of how the core rules were for the blast weapon was always there, right? You always had a entry in the core rule book for a blast weapon, okay? But you did not have a lot of weapons on the ships in the Orbats that actually had that blast quality associated with it. And that's changed now. And it, it makes a dramatic difference in the way you might approach the game in terms of the ships you might take and how you position them on the tabletop. And that change and that, that shift didn't really require any major alterations to the core rules, which is very neat. <laughs> it's a very elegant solution, I think. Yeah, and, and they've also been top on top of from what I can tell, balancing things. Because um, I remember back when uh, when you know they originally released it, railguns were incredibly potent. And they're still good, but definitely not to the point where they were. You were like, re-rolling everything. It's crazy. But now it just seems they've definitely toned it down Yeah. Um, from where it, it, it began. So they're adding, adding cool stuff and, and fixing the things that are broken. So Oh, yes, yes. Now, one of the things that uh, I noticed is that when I look across the versions of the Orbat, you know, from older to newer, they've continued doing a a evolution on the uh, sort of the unique flavor of each faction, right? And so what I mean by that is, whereas earlier versions of the Enlightened Orbat gave lots of ships uh, something called homing torpedoes. In the latest edition of the Orbat, they're now called weirding torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, there is a specific uh, discussion of what a weirding torpedo is and how it works uh, inside the uh, the Orbat. But it just gives you know another little bit of flavor to the, in this case, the enlightened uh, forces that gives them a specific specific type of weapon that's maybe not unique to them, but is definitely uncommon and featured in their fleet a lot more than it is in others. So uh, I, I like that change. Again, I always think a little bit of additional flavor <laughs> for a, a given faction is a good thing, right? Yeah, and, and uh, I even noticed going through the uh, Commonwealth Orbat, they're like going, they're bringing up some like unique squadrons too, which is kind of like a a neat thing, right? I mean, so you, you had your, your your named battleships and such. Yeah. But, like, in the Commonwealth Orbat, we have, like, the three Bogatir, which are a... Uh, you're named after, you know, some Russian uh, folklore. Yeah. And they are a squadron of, of cryocruisers. Neat. And um, I'm looking at some of the uh, the, the, the fancy uh, Russian uh, weapons here. we got the Apocalypse Cannon, the... Uh, 
Magrail axe and Magrail <laughs> axe gun. So uh, I'm I'm trying to get to my retrieving classes here, but um, obviously the Magrail axe is that is there. Um, where the apocalypse can is, I don't know, but hey, I'm sure it's here somewhere. And I, and I don't have any of these yet, so it's kind of haven't haven't had the uh, the net need to look it up and know it yet. So. Right, right, yeah. But uh, anyway, and then one other thing that I really wanted to sort of talk about here with the uh, the Orbats is, uh, so when you look at the Orbats towards the front, there's a list of several different battle fleets you can pick. And this is something that you had mentioned in the first half of the show, Matt. But basically, you know, for example, the Archimedes battle fleet says you have to have one Archimedes class flagship, and then you have to have a certain other uh, range of units. And then you can have a couple of other generic units uh, to fill out the fleet, right? And if yes. you meet those force organization criteria, you gain the benefit of a couple of additional bonuses. And that is a sort of an interesting way to encourage a uh, maybe a sort of a thematic or fluffy build instead of just a, a constant min-max because it encourages you to sort of feel the specific uh, type of unit, right? Um, now, that's always been in the Orbats, right? So don't get me wrong, that's not a new feature. That's something that's been there for a while. What's changed, though, is they've overhauled how these different battle fleets work, and they have updated them and modified them for this new round of the Orbats. Now, there is a generic battle fleet, right, where you can take pretty much whatever you want or whatever you have. You just don't get any bonuses for it, right? Uh, so, then they have the various uh, specified battle fleets, and then you have mercenary battle fleets because they've actually released a few uh, mercenary uh, units for the game. Things like the Black Wolf or the League of Crimson and this type of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 um, something that you know, especially for guys like us, Matt, who've been playing the this version of the game since it released, we've definitely seen a lot of evolution in those uh, Battlefleet compositions. And this is something that is going to kind of, uh, I don't know, just force some rethink of how you approach the list building for a game, right? <laughs> it, definitely. And I'm going to back you up real quick. The, yeah. like, the, the generic Battlefleet is not actually great. Um, it's kind of at the top of, at least in the Commonwealth Orbat, you don't. You can't really have multiple units with it. So if you aren't running one of the themed battle fleets, you're actually pretty fairly restricted. Like, um, like had, if I if I just got the uh, you know Hunt for Prometheus set and I built my Commonwealth as the box showed, right? The bird unit battle fleet works fine, but I couldn't use that box to build a generic uh, Commonwealth battle fleet unless I built those ships differently than that box had kind of intended. So, yeah. yeah. So well, you know, so for the Enlightened, I can include one flagship and up to four other units. As long as they all have the Enlightened trait, that makes a legal fleet. You just don't get any bonuses for it. Oh, is there anything at the top of your back? Because mine says, like, you cannot include more than one of any specific unit. Um, cannot include more than one aerial. So maybe maybe it's a little differently set up. I don't, I don't know. Um Anyhow. Well, no, if you, if, you look at, uh, if you look at page two, the Commonwealth Battle Fleet says you can have one flagship with Commonwealth, and you have up to four further units with the Commonwealth uh, trait. So it's, it's, it's yeah, the same. Yeah, but the restrictions are up top, though. Yeah. Um, so, 
the, again, I don't love the generics, but I mean, kind of what you said, like, I, obviously I can run the Borodino with the Hunt for Prometheus. But I think uh, when talking to you, when you're looking at yours, you actually don't have a battle fleet out of the Hunt for Prometheus box because you're missing, like, one ship of some flavor, right? Yeah. So, kind of a. I guess I feel I feel like again, assuming this top part works how I think it does, the generic battle feats aren't great, and you kind of need to buy a little extra, which is fine. You you want to support the company, but it seems a little, I don't know, not not questionable, but a little 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 little, little for, uh, forcing the hand a little bit, which is I don't love, but you know. Well, I, I should note that most of these battle fleets are supported with a specific box, right? It's like they sell right. a Borodino battle fleet box set that has the components you would need to build a legal uh, battle fleet out of that. And the other thing is, too, um, they way they've done the list building in this game is you're not supposed to have just a single battle fleet. You can have multiple battle fleets, right? Right. Uh, to fill out your force. So... Um, you know, if, if you had, uh, two flagship units, then you could take, you know, flagship one and supporting unit A and supporting unit B, and you could have, you know, basically a mirror of that to, you know, have two of everything, uh, and get multiple units that way. And functionally on the table, there's no real need for coherency for any of that stuff. It's really just sort of a, a list building exercise. It's not like you have to have your, flagship for one particular force near the other units in that force during the game or anything like that. So, yeah. yeah so you can, you can work it, but it, it does have, this is the way that they've decided to do the um, sort of the force org and the, the push for balance lists, as opposed to like the Spartan system where you had so much percent, you could have your points were in small models and only so many, uh, percentage points to go into large models and this type of thing, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 definitely. I mean, it's definitely. I mean, it's, it's a more thought out system, but even uh, you know, in a good system, you can have some gripes. So yeah, that's that's the one thing that I get, that I don't love. But again, it's it's certainly manageable, even with you with me. Just the fact yeah. that I can use the Bordina Battle Fleet right out of the Hunt for Prometheus box. Yeah. And, and, and it's just weird to me that, and again, maybe I'm missing something, but the Enlightened doesn't have the equivalent of that out of the Battle for Prometheus, or the Hunt for Prometheus. Yeah, and, and so, interestingly, it's it sort of used to, but then, you know, there's been two years' worth of releases between now and then, so <laughs> there's a lot wider pool of models to draw on than there was when the original Orbats were drawn up, so... Uh, anyway, okay, well, so, in the future, I think... Uh, it'll be fun to kind of dig into these Orbats, and we'll probably we'll probably do it, uh, you know, maybe do one episode at a time devoted to each of the different factions and talking about the ins and outs of the Orbats, I think. Uh, but I think for now that's enough to sort of get a feel that if you've never played Dystopian Wars before, uh, you know, the, I, hopefully the message has come through that now is a great time to jump in because you've got lots of options and lots of variety uh, to select from. And if you have played dystopian wars in the past but like matt and i you've been away from it for you know a little while in our case about a year since the last time we played there's a lot that's changed and there's a lot of new things to sort of refresh your memory on and uh, i think the the game is in a pretty good spot as far as the sheer variety and the options you've got with the model range and the rules now so uh, it's it's never been a better time to jump in if you haven't already <laughs> So, Absolutely. Uh, any uh, closing thoughts, Matt? 
Uh, no, but just just to kind of further Andy's point, uh, the the range is actually getting you know very. It's expanded a lot, and there's kind of something for anything you want. If you want giant robots, you can do that. You know, uh, they're just getting into the the the, the air the air fleets, but uh, I'm sure in the next you know six months to a year, those will be filling out more too. So, whatever your aesthetic, it's it's here for you. Oh yeah. Okay, well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode of Exploding Dice Radio. Um, so for uh, as always, thanks so much for listening, and uh, both to this show and to the other shows on the Freebooters Network. And if you have any feedback or have a topic you'd like to see discussed on the show, you can always find me at the Exploding Dice Radio Facebook page or YouTube channel. Also, I'm going to put up a discussion thread for this in the Man Battle Stations forums. And then you can always email me directly, edrpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Ruck Dog saying good luck and good hunting. Thank you.